0: So we're in Proverbs chapter 4, we're at the end of the chapter. We've seen two speeches, now we're going to see the last speech in this collection. The father to his son. The first speech we, we might say was the, the, the speech to choose. He's, in, in, he's pleading with his son, choose life. And then in the second, he becomes more specific, choose life in the gospel. Now in the final installment of this set of speeches, he says to us, "Having he says to his son, having chosen to be in life and having chosen to live that life in the gospel, now live a life of discipleship. So I've entitled it, Choose the Way of a Disciple. Choose the Way of a Disciple. He says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. This is the clue that we have changed we have changed speeches. You, you remember this, new, this device? This device has been used over and over again in, the, in Proverbs so far, hasn't it? And it's going to be, continue to be used. Che- he says, listen to me. Son, listen to me. Be attentive to what I'm teaching you. Incline yourself to my teachings. So he in- introduces it this way. Let them not escape from your sight. Don't let my teachings escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Turn your foot away from evil. Choose the way of discipleship. You know, we use that term discipleship a lot in this church. And in the evangelical world at large today, discipleship is a hot topic. And many of you may have seen and, and the announcements it. some of you may have participated last night and the night before as David Platt and Francis Chan taught us about multiplying our lives into the lives of others multiplying our lives, being a disciple, passing on what we have gained and been taught. That's the goal of any Christian. That's the goal of any parent. I mean, think about your parenting. What are you doing in your parenting? You are preparing the next generation to carry on in the way of life. That's really what you're doing, right? I mean, if you're not doing that, then there's going to to come a day of reckoning. We all know that. There's the day when they hit that age where they're gone. If we haven't done a good job of preparing them, you know, they're going to they're struggle. They're going to fail in life. So uh, we're going to, uh, you know, pass it on. That's, that's kind of the idea. Multiply our life. Um, raise a new generation. This is the call. And so here this father is, Solomon, to his son saying to him, Hey, son, I'm raising you to, to, raising you to give your whole life to my teaching." And it is the whole life that is at concern. Discipleship is simply this. The whole man attending to the whole word for all his life. The whole man attending, paying attention to, keeping the whole word for his whole life. Every part of his life. That's a simple way to think of discipleship. When someone says, what do you mean when you're discipling someone? It's not a Bible study. I, I, I want to correct that in, in, in our thinking. I think we need to be careful that we don't fall into that trap. It's easy to fall in that trap. Discipleship is not this Bible study. It includes Bible study. But it is not just a Bible study. Discipleship is all the counsel of God being applied to all the person's life being applied throughout life. That's this. That's the goal. So when we say we're discipling someone, we're trying to help them apply the Word of God to their life from now until they die. In every phase, in every step. So discipleship comes in all shapes and sizes and forms. I mean, the people that i pour pouring my life into, I, I study the Bible with. I pray for. I talk with them about their life, about parenting and about being a husband and about work and about hobbies and and we do things together, hobbies together. And we, hey, some of you ladies, uh, you're discipling people, you're, you know, younger ladies, and you're you're changing a lot of diapers, and you're playing the part of grandma, and you're uh, counseling that woman about how to love her husband. That, that's this what this what discipleship is. And so, what Solomon does in this last speech is he prepares his son. To be not only a disciple, but I would argue, and we'll argue at the end, that, it's, that he passes that on. That he disciples the next generation. Solomon has the long view in mind. So let's look here at two things that we can gain from this speech. First of all, the gospel is life to us. It leads us to life. It is life. The gospel leads us into life. What do I mean by that? Because prior to this speech, he said that there has to be a choice made to follow the path of righteousness so that the light of dawn dawns brighter and brighter into us. And we talked about that being the coming of the light of the world, Jesus Christ, last week. And so now that the gospel is rooted in us, it becomes the path that leads us to life all-inclusive. Look what I mean here. In the introduction in verses 20, 21, and 22. Look what he does. He says, give me your ear. Give me your eyes. Give me your heart. You see that? Incline your ear. Give me your ear. He then says to him, don't let any of these things go past your sight. Don't miss them. Don't forget to see them. Don't run past them. And then he says, that, that they then are to be in the heart. In this simple way, he's including the whole life. Now, and we're going to apply that, but I just want to say that the gospel leads us to, all in, to life in all of our life. If we think of it very practically, in the Hebrew mind, the ears, the eyes, and the center of the being are always the focus, aren't they? Think about Jesus' teaching in the New Testament. What does he say at the end of his teaching? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What is Jesus' focus in the healing ministry? There's significant healings that take place. One that is repeated over and over is a miracle to the eyes. Right? And Jesus emphasizes that as many hearing and the eyes. Lastly, it's the center of the wheel, the center and the seat of the man. Now, the Hebrew here that we translate "heart" into English can also be known as the liver, the stomach, the, uh, the the heart. It's behind the eyes. It's the person, the seat, the really who you are. He's not talking about the physical heart here. Okay, don't think about the organ that pumps blood when you read "heart." Not in this passage, and typically not throughout the Bible. What he's typically talking about is who you are, who you really are in your essence, the being of who you are. And so he says, look, son, turn your ear to my teaching. Open your eyes that that my teachings don't slide by without you seeing them. Ultimately, what I'm saying to you, son, is let my teaching go into the center of who you are. So the gospel doesn't apply to one segment of us. It applies to all of us. The wisdom that Solomon is teaching his son is not categorized as over here and then you have the rest of your life, but rather it's inclusive of the whole life. And the way the writer brings that out for us is beautiful in the sense that he says it's in your ears, it's in your eyes, it's in your heart, it's in the very center of who you are. So first of all, the gospel leads us to a life of obedience. Secondly, in verses 23 through 27, he says the gospel requires our whole life. It's not only that the gospel is for life, but it is all of our life. Look at verse 23. He starts back with heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the spring of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance. This world is filled with temptation, this world is filled with worldly philosophy. This world will entice you with many enticements towards other ways of living, son. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't give it up easily. It's something that we need to remember in our day, isn't it? So many people, so many people have given themselves to so many other things in life. Some of you have given yourself to to your college career. I just want to talk to you a minute about that. Listen, college students, it's important that you study and that you give yourself to your studies in some ways. But that cannot become who you are. If it is, your life will be leading you, you will be leading yourself away from the gospel. If you commit not just Commit to making good grades and commit to learning all that can be gained in college. College is a very important time. But college students, hear me. If you make that who you are, you will lose your identity when you're done with college. Once you climb the hill, you get the diploma, what's life then? Trust me, our pastors have seen it over and over again. Many of our campus outreach students graduate and they don't know what to do with their life. They don't, they don't know how to continue in life because once they've finished that goal, they, they made that life. You've got to guard against that. Businessmen, you know what I'm going to say, right? You've got to guard against giving yourself to the business. Business is part of your life, but it is not your life. And if it becomes that, as we have seen in the last, since 2007, it can quickly evaporate on us, can it? If you don't guard yourself, you will give yourself to anything that comes along. Families. Now, particularly, I've picked on college students. I've talked to men. So women, it's, you, you, you were happy I said those things. Boy, I'm glad you're talking to my husband, preacher, because he, he's been hard to live with the last two years. But ladies and men, but ladies, let me just tell you, you can give yourself to your family. You can make your family your God. You can let your heart go there. And when it's destroyed, what will you have left? Solomon's warning his son, keep your heart. It's not all we, t- now I'm, I'm going to get to some bad things. All those things I talked about are good things. College is a good thing. Education is a good thing. I believe in it. I believe it's good to do that and to pursue that. Business is a good thing. It's not an evil thing. Families are a good thing given to us by God entrusted to us by the Lord. But listen, they're not the ultimate thing. And if you don't guard your heart, your heart will quickly be consumed with that. And when it's destroyed, you will have nothing. You'll be on the wrong path. Now, he's not only talking about giving our hearts to good things, is he? I mean, let's don't dress it up make it look churchy. Because the next chapter we're going to get to next week is about adultery. The book of Proverbs is filled with warnings against sexual sin and greed and practical laziness and all the things that can consume us in a bad way. So I'm not just saying, hey, guard yourself against giving your heart to your family and your business and and education. No, you have to guard yourself against the philosophies of this world which lead you to sin, openly sin. You have to be on guard against that. Solomon has said, look, the gospel is for all your life son he does that by saying you have ears let them hear you have eyes let them see you have a center of who you are your heart let it be filled with the teachings let it be inclined to the teachings of the gospel but then he comes right back and says now to do that you have to guard your heart you have to guard the center of who you are So, so much of us can be exposed by how we date now all the old people said I no longer date He's gonna to talk to these young people. But I do, in all seriousness, I wanna to talk to you. You will hear if you hang around campus outreach and me and Dave, and we'll use terms like guard your heart. And you know, we've all heard that. But what we're really saying is sometimes our heart gets exposed in relationships. Some of you teenagers out there right now, you're in a relationship, and you think, if I can have that guy, if I can have this girl, then my life will be better. I will have significance. I will be. I will be the man. I'll go in the locker room. I, if I get this girl, and I'll be the toast of the locker room, or the girl, because girls do this too. Don't just blame it on guys. I'll be the cool one when we're hanging out. At you know, and my boyfriend walks up. I'll be the envy of all the other girls. Be careful. Your heart is moving. The center of who you are is not neutral. It's either going towards God or it's going toward other things. It will not stand stagnant in life. So teenagers and college students and singles out there, listen to me. When we're talking about dating, we're not just trying to be the old grumps who got married so now we don't want anybody else to date. That's not the point. But the way our culture dates is not productive most of the time. Because it encourages you to give your heart way too quickly. To a relationship that could lead you down the wrong path that's what we're talking about it's amazing to me we need more solomons don't we we need more dads who say hey honey guard yourself don't give yourself up so easily some of you would trust some of us trust teenage hormones and boys way too much the same guy you just let take your daughter and go out on the town with no idea where they are, you wouldn't hand him the keys to your car if it was the last thing on earth. Right? You don't trust the guy to drive your car, but you're going to let him take your girl out. I mean, just think about that. That's kind of insane. Teenagers admit it in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. That's crazy. You know? It's crazy. It's crazy. So, we have to guard ourselves. The gospel is practical. It applies to all of our life. He does that by saying, you have ears, let them hear. You have eyes, let them see. You have a center of who you are. Let it be inundated with the gospel so that you're guarded against the philosophies of this world, both good and evil, will entice you away from the center, the relationship with Jesus Christ. It will happen without you even knowing it often. You will give yourself to these other things. And if you do, Understand that that's what where the flow of your life comes from. You see that in verse twenty three. Keep your heart with all vigilance, guard it like you would guard the head of a spring, which gives to your army and to your people. You, one of the greatest things in the ancient world was to guard the water source. One of the ways you conquered in the old days was what? Stop the water from flowing. If you stop water from getting to a city, I don't care how powerful they are, they get thirsty. They're going to be in trouble. They can't fight. So he's saying, the flow of who you are is contained in the center of you, the heart. And if you don't guard it, the enemy will take it. And everything that provides life to you will be sucked away. Everything that provides life to you will be gone. It's the flow of the spring of life which comes from our heart. Put away from you then, practically speaking, how do we guard ourselves? We put away... We guard our mouths. We not only guard our heart, we guard our mouth. What do we guard it from? Crooked speech. Devious talk. Not just outright lies, but hedging the truth and half-truths. It's so important that we learn to speak truthfully. That's a hard one, isn't it? James says, if a man can tame the tongue, he can tame the whole body. Because the tongue is uncontrollable to the human. That takes the Spirit of God. He says, guard your heart, son, and guard your mouth. Your mouth indicates where your heart is. That's why he brings it up next. You want to know what a person loves? Listen to what they talk about. That's what Solomon's saying. Some of us love recreation and sport. Some of us love our wives. Some of us love our jobs. Some of us love ourselves. More than we love Christ. Some of us love sex. Some of us love food. Some of us are serving strong drink, wine, liquor. What are we talking about? What comes forth? Some of us just expose our heart because our mouths are just filthy. I tell my children, words are important. Cuss words, slang language, in and of itself is no big deal. Listen, we're not going to do it here. I'm not going to become the cussing preacher. I can just see it now. Go to the website, Carl, and set a curse word from the pulpit. But listen, we can go privately. I'll talk to you about them. Every word that's slang, that's perverse, it has a a beginning. It has a meaning. Most of us don't know what they mean or what they did mean, but they all have a meaning. You can trace the etymology of that word from where it began, right? Words are words. You know, it's not... But the Bible says the words indicate where your heart is. Let the man become angry. And then we see where his heart, where his spring of life flows from. Let the woman be disappointed in her husband. Or her friend. Or her boss. And that tongue which is so sharp to cut and needle and knife. That other person tells us where the heart is. Jesus teaches us this. We're going to get there in just a moment as we close the message. But he says, your ear, your eye, your heart. Now he comes back and says, now your heart must be guarded and your mouth has to be guarded. It has to be protected. Let your eye, let your eye look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Don't turn your eyes. There's many things to be distracted, to distract you, to pull you away from the truths I'm teaching you, the truths of the gospel, but you have to stay focused in this life. There's all kinds of temptation in there. In there. There's all kinds of temptation. I mean, I was riding down the road just the other day. That's how quickly it can happen. You're just riding down the road. And. If you're not paying attention, you know, your eyes are kind of wandering. The person in front of you stops at the stoplight. And you're kind of, Bruce, you don't ever deal with this, I know. Being a guy that's on the road every day, you see it, texting, looking at the Twitter account. Just wandering, eyes looking everywhere, not focused on the destination, and the person in front of you stops. Nothing good comes out of this situation, right? You look up, you're traveling 45 that guy's at 0. It doesn't take long to eat that gap up be in a wreck. A fender bender. Same's true in your life. Some of us are so distracted, we're looking at so many other things and the gospel is not our focus. It doesn't take long to close the gap and have a train wreck in our lives. So Solomon opens up so wisely, doesn't he? Hey, tune your ears in to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and don't miss my instruction. Guard your, I mean, give me your heart and incline it to my teaching. Now he turns around in the second half of the verses. Guard your heart. Guard your mouth. Guard your eyes. You see how that works together? That's how we know this speech is meant to hang together because it's an inclusio. The, the way that it's worded here brings us to the main focus, the main point. What is that? Verse 26. And 27. Ponder the path of your feet. Think about. Set your mind on. Pay attention to your feet. The path that your feet are on. If it's righteous or if it's evil. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Son, in this life... There will be plenty of opportunities to take a wrong step this way or a wrong step that way. You have to guard your heart, keep your eyes focused, open your ears to the gospel, and keep your feet on the path of righteousness. As we close, I want us to think about how Jesus applied this in his teaching. Here Solomon is teaching this way of wisdom. The path of righteousness that centers on the Gospel and includes all of the person. The disciple must be focused completely on the truth of the Gospel. In every area of his life, he must be focused on the path of righteousness. Let's look over in Mark chapter 7. Jesus, being the fulfillment of wisdom, being the embodiment of wisdom, teaches us the same way. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is dealing with the idea of ceremonial cleanness. And people are teaching that there are those who are clean and those who are unclean. There's utensils that are clean. There's utensils that are unclean. You have to wash and clean. And they're really paying attention to the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law has been pushed away. Look at verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, open your ears, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, But the thing that comes out of a person are what defile him." When he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all food clean. Jesus is teaching famously here about the dietary laws of, of Israel. And the people had made that a letter of the law matter. Don't eat pork. Don't eat, uh, don't eat serpents. Don't eat catfish or shrimp. All the good things we like to eat, right? I'm glad we live in the New Covenant. Don't do that. They they start focusing on the don'ts. Don't do that because that will make you unclean. Jesus says that stuff won't make you unclean. That goes in your stomach. It's gone within the day or the next day. What makes you unclean is what resides in your heart. Catfish doesn't go in your heart. What goes in your heart? Back to proverbs, the sayings of our father. Are what's supposed to be there? Our hearts are to be inclined to them, right? The gospel should be there. But look what happens. He said, he, he, "What comes out of a person is not is what What comes out of a person from within his heart is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting." Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they are what defiles a person. So here we are in Proverbs 4. And our, our teaching is saying guard the heart. Why is it so important? Because in the heart is the seat of who you really are. And out of it will flow all ungodliness or godliness. No one makes you a sinner. You are a sinner. No one makes you clean. No one from the outside except Christ can make you clean. Only the gospel can save you. It has to be what is in the heart. If not, then everything that flows out of the heart will be evil. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Jesus again teaching on this same subject. Verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Again, Jesus echoing the wisdom we've just studied in Proverbs. Your heart will flow. Either good or evil will come from it. Either good or evil. How many of you use the phrase, He made me. She made me. That's a big one at my house. Okay? It's a big one at my house. I'm not going to identify any culprits. But I often hear, almost weekly, I hear, He made me angry. He made me holler. She made me do these things. You ever use that phrase? Jesus tells us in this passage, and Proverbs tells us clearly, No one made you. What happened is the situation you were put in exposed your heart for what it really is. No one made you angry. You're an angry person. The opportunity arose and it flowed forward. No one made you be stingy. You're a stingy person. When you were given the opportunity, what is in your heart flowed forth. No one made you curse. No one made you tell a dirty joke. No one told you You had to do any of these things. That's just what's there already. The right situation arose and the truth came forward or the heart was exposed. The situations we find ourselves in every day are not an excuse to sin. And they are not what makes us sin. We are sinners. And if we're not focused, hearing, seeing, giving ourselves actively to the gospel every day, we will do evil. We will do evil. So, as we close, I just look at First Timothy. As Paul applies our principle, just flip with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. As we close, we see here in this letter to his student in the ministry, the Apostle Paul grabs the wisdom of our teaching in Proverbs 4 and applies it directly. He just told his student to teach against the things of this world, the teachings of demons, the lies that sear our consciences, that forbid marriage and require abstinence from food. All these earthly things, these material things that are being preached against in Timothy's day. Paul says, you have to speak against that. In verse 6. If you put these things, the right, the gospel, if you put the gospel before, uh, before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That idea of training the, the training spiritually is, is contained, that idea is contained in our word guard your heart how do we you say practically apply this message okay so the whole person supposed to be given to the whole truth all the time how do we make that happen the example paul says is just like an athlete makes it happen the athletes we all love to watch perform in their competitions football this time of the year we love to watch it don't we we get engrossed in it how did they get in the position they're in by chance just woke up one day at 18 and said, you know what, I'm a big guy. I think I'll go play. So on Saturday we find them on the gridiron playing for a college scholarship in front of thousands of people. It just accidentally happened? No, it didn't just accidentally happen, did it? What does the athlete do? He trains himself. Usually from a young age he begins to prepare himself for the future. He begins to run. He begins to lift. He begins to work out. He begins to study. He gives himself completely to the pursuit of athletics. And that has a good meaning and a good purpose. It is a good thing, Paul says. But guess what? It's not eternally good. It's going to fade away. But in guarding our hearts from ungodliness and keeping our eyes focused on the gospel, we're doing something that's eternal. And like that, if you want to know how do we do that, it's practical application to train ourselves in godliness. To train ourselves, to work at it with the Spirit of God. So I'm in the gospel. I don't just cruise now. I don't just sit back and say, well, you know, hey, God saved me, now I can live how I want. No, I rigorously pursue the way of righteousness every day. I focus my heart and mind on the relationship with Christ, to the exclusion of temptations outside of that. If not, we won't grow in righteousness. So Solomon, at the end of his speech, he says, "Choose life, son. What I've taught you is the way of life. Choose it. The path of righteousness is before you. How do we find the path of life through the gospel? The one who is the dawning star who has come, the light of the world now, into our lives and shone in the dark crevices and brought us into the dawning sunlight of God's gospel. That's it. No. Guard yourself now. Train. Pursue. Run hard after righteousness. This is kind of uh, the vogue topic around my world these days, you know, with the guys I like to listen to. Kevin DeYoung just wrote a book called The Hole in Our Holiness. Conferences are being given to studying what it means to be holy. It's a missing link, isn't it? Churches like ours have become so accustomed to defining grace as freedom with no responsibilities. The writer of Proverbs Solomon is guarding his son against that kind of mindset. Choose life, son. It's found in the gospel. But now run hard after it. If you don't guard what you look at and you don't guard what you hear and listen to in the messages of this world, you're going to walk away. You're going to stray. You're going to find yourself in all manner of sin. Guard your heart by focusing in on your eye, your spiritual eye on Christ. So Grace Fellowship this week, don't coast. Don't say, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That's not how Solomon told his son to live, and that's not how we should live. Train for righteousness this week. Train, pursue it, work hard at it. Through every inch and ounce of your being, let the Spirit of God rule and reign. If you do, it has benefits for this life and the next. On the day that we stand in the presence of Christ, we will stand clean. We will stand clothed in His righteousness. And we will stand accepted based on Him, not us. But don't make the mistake of thinking that means what I do doesn't matter. Because in that next life, there will be tears that must be wiped away. After the thought of being accepted in sets in with the people of God, the revelation tells us that as the people entered the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus had to dry their eyes from tears. I don't know all the reasons people are weeping there, but I think I know one. People are weeping as they come. Why? One reason... Is because they did not pursue and train. They didn't follow righteousness. They're forgiven. They're filled. They're brought in. They're accepted. There's no works merit there. But that last thing to be conquered is regret. That last thing to be wiped away is the feeling that, you know, I didn't run hard after him. Let's don't be that. Let's run after Jesus. Faith in Christ pursues Christ. Faith in Christ pursues Christ. Let's do that together. Let's guard ourselves and guard one another from falling into temptation of laziness. Hey, focus on Him. Hear Him. Hear His Word. Train your eyes on Him.